Amen. Hey, uh, how many guys besides Orson like uh, nursery rhymes? Anybody? Orson, you like nursery rhymes? Just roll with me. Help me out here. No, he doesn't like them. You're messing me up. Let's start all over. How many guys except for Orson like nursery rhymes? I praise God. At least we're honest. Okay. Well, here's one. Hopefully you enjoy it. Right? This. It was a, a sunny morning in the big uh, uh, forest, right? And the bear family. Remember that one? The three bears, right? Yeah. And the bear family was just waking up. And so baby bear goes downstairs and sits in his little baby chair there right then. And, uh, but he looks into his bowl there and he notices that it's empty. And so he squeaks out, who's been eating my porridge? And he sounds just like that. Right, Larry? Yeah, whatever. And, and so well, next is Papa Bear's turn, right? And he gets at the table and he sits in his big man chair, right? And so he looks into his big bowl, and he sees it's empty, too. And so he wants, who's been eating my porridge, right? Well, at this, Mama Bear, she puts her head out from the kitchen. She says, for Pete's sake, how many times we got to go through this? It was Mama Bear who got up first. It was Mama Bear who unloaded the dishwasher from last night and put everything away. It was Mama Bear who set the table. It was Mama Bear who put the cat out, cleaned the litter box, filled the cat's water and food dish, and now you come down here and decide me to grace me with your presence. You better listen good. I'm going to tell you one more time. I haven't made the porridge yet. Now, you guys seem very discerning, but how many guys would say that Mama Bear's a little bit on the edge? <laughs> yeah, just a little. Okay. And, uh, and because of that, it was starting to wreak havoc with her household, right? Man, getting wigged out over just small stuff, okay? And believe it or not, folks, uh, Mama Bear's, uh, believe it or not, not the only ones that are behaving like this. Unfortunately, I've seen many Christians do this, right? Man, just the slightest little thing. Right? Get all wigged out over that stuff. And folks, it's bad enough that we do this, but because we do this, it's happening, I've learned, because we're not studying the Bible, individually and corporately, even as churches. I just had to share that. Somebody said today that a church here in town actually removed the name Christian from their title, and it's just everything's about feel-good fluff and no Bible, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me, okay? And the problem is, folks, what this is doing is it's producing a generation of churches full of Christians who are acting like practical atheists. Oh, we say we believe in God. Of course, you've got to at least check that one off, so to speak, on the test, right? Okay, but half the times with our lips and our lives, oh, we're giving a different impression. We're acting like God's not even there, like he's not even a part of the equation, okay? And this not only keeps us from going in our walk with God, hello, people are watching us. It steers them away from God, and that's not good, okay, if we're going to make a difference in our world. Therefore, to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God called the character of God. You guys are on the ball. That's right. And uh, we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. Hello, this is not a pipe dream. It is real. God is real. The second great news we saw uh, about God is, hello, he's personal. It's not just he's some God in the backside of Pluto. He, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal, bride-like relationship. It's amazing. Okay, not just when we get to heaven, we get to have that uh, even here and now. The third thing we saw about God's character is he is wise. He's not just wise. He's the ultimate wise source okay he knows everything okay so just go to him you need advice anybody ever need some advice those of you didn't raise your hand let me give you some advice raise your hand okay <laughs> just go to god will you just he, he'll never steer you wrong he never gets he doesn't lie but that's our problem we don't go to him but go to god and he'll let you know what you do in every situation and then the last five times we saw the fourth thing is hello god is sovereign now once again let me read to you that definition what does it mean god is sovereign because that's one of those churchianity uh, uh theological terms right well it means this all things how many things all things are under god's rule and control and that listen nothing how much Nothing happens without his direction or permission. Why? Because then he wouldn't be omniscient, would he? Right? Like one theologian said, if there was even one maverick molecule in the universe, God couldn't be God. 
He has to be God. He knows everything, okay? And, and we've been seeing, once you understand the sovereignty of God, man, this is awesome. It's like icing on the cake, right? It not only is a soothing balm to our hearts as a Christian, but it begins to answer some of those skeptical questions we get asked about God, like with the event we're dealing with again today. Where is God and all the evil and suffering? What good can come from suffering? You say God's good and he's wonderful and all that stuff. Why does he allow evil and suffering? Well, he's not the author of it. But he's so powerful, he does great things with it. And that's what we saw. What good can come from suffering? Last couple of times, we've just seen a few of those reasons to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, uh, to cause us to be a blessing to other people. And last week, to teach us that God is God and we are not. Turn to somebody and say, hey, you're not God. Okay? In case you need to know that. Okay? To make us more like Jesus and to keep us from wasting our lives. Good thing that never happens. We just get tricked into goofing off and... Yeah, uh, unfortunately we do. The seventh reason, though, we've still got a ways to go. The seventh reason why, why does God have a lot of difficulties is to make us more humble. Now, how many guys are humble? Raise your hand. Now, those of you who raise your hand, you just lost it. <laughs> that's, that's the general rule. Oops. I'm going to put mine down. Okay, that's what it is. The moment you think that's how humility works, the moment you think you're humble, you just lost it. Okay? And it doesn't, you can't go to Walmart and say, man, I sure could use a can of humility. Okay, it doesn't work that way. What we're going to see today in our first point is um, what I've learned, and I think what the scripture clearly teaches the example. Humility is birthed in you from God through humiliating circumstances. Okay, but I'm not the only one that's uh, experienced this. Uh, believe it or not, so did the Apostle Paul. Let's take a look. Here's our opening text, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you find 1 Corinthians, what do you do? Hang it right, you guys are cooking today. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is the famous account of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Okay, a lot of theories, people say, well, I wonder if his thorn could have been eyesight, or the thorn in the flesh could have been some illness. I've actually heard some commentaries, I'm not making this up, and I didn't say this. They said it was uh, some uh, ex-wife or something, whatever that used to go around. I was like, are you kidding me? The Bible tells us what the thorn in the flesh is, okay? It might have manifested in some other stuff, but we're going to see that. But we're also going to see why. Why did this happen? And this is the amazing possible. He's following God. He's doing what God told him to do. And why in the world would God allow this serious, serious hard time? Okay, but let's take a look there. As he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, here's what it says. Now, here Paul tells us the reason right out of the gates. Why did he get this thorn in the flesh? What's it say right there? To keep me from becoming what? Conceited. What's conceited? Prideful, arrogant. Okay. Okay, because of these surpassingly great revelations. Now, remember, God called him up to the third heaven, the actual dwelling place of God the Father. He had an, an actual encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, right? So he's getting this revelation. He's getting this firsthand knowledge from God, Jesus, from God the Father. And it's just, wow, you can see that the temptation would be for Paul to say, can you imagine Paul if he was conceited at a church business meeting? Right, can you imagine it? Everybody said, well, I, yeah, we have all their discussion, and 99.9% .9 of the church says it needs to go this way. And Paul goes, <clears throat> excuse me, hate to remind you guys of this, but uh, <laughs> I was caught up to the third heaven. <laughs> I heard things that you guys just don't know, right? I think it should go this way. You know, can you imagine? So that way, he, he got this awesome revelation, right? And he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, what did God do for Paul's benefit? There was given me what? A thorn in my flesh. And if only I knew what the thorn that would keep reading. A messenger of Satan. Now, what in the world's a messenger of Satan? That's a demon. It's spiritual warfare to torment me. And so Paul said, of course, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But what happened? 
But God said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power, okay, is made perfect in what? Weakness, okay? Therefore, Paul gets it. Oh, now I see what you're up to, God. Yahoo! This is my, my good. This is for my good. Therefore, I will what? I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, okay, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties because when i'm weak that's what those things do they bring you down they humble you with that's when what that's when i'm strong whoa now how many guys every day when you get out of your bed you go yeah bring on the hardships bring on the insults persecute me please okay well paul says i'm excited about that not because of the situation's sake now the situation is tough as it is paul he said i'm, I'm tormented i'm praying to god oh please get rid of it right but he says, listen, but I get it now, okay? It's allowed for a higher purpose. Those are the things that God uses to keep me uh, humble, okay? God not only permitted Paul to have a few difficulties in his life. Now, if you, if you read elsewhere uh, in Corinthians, Paul gives a litmus of other things he went through, man. It wasn't just this, right? He had shipwrecks. He had beatings. He was beaten by rods. He was whipped. He was scourged. He was in a shipwreck floating out at sea, all kinds of stuff, right? He finally gets on land. You remember that story in Acts? He gets on land, and they must be freezing to death right? in, the, in the water there in the ocean. They finally get on land. They, they scrape a fire together, and you go, Whew, finally. And what happens? <laughs> Snake bites them. <laughs> what a day. Right? But even that, God used uh, for purposes. If you read that context, they're great purposes. Okay? But Paul is allowed on purpose by God, allows, listen, him to be tormented by an actual demon, actual spiritual warfare on purpose. God's not the author of it, but he permitted it, okay? Why? To keep Paul from becoming conceited. In other words, prideful and arrogant. Why? Because again, if Paul became arrogant after all the great things that God did, what would happen to the work that God had prepared in advance for Paul to do? Would have gotten totally ruined, right? Totally ruined. So to keep Paul from becoming conceited out of Paul's best interest, out of his own benefit, God allowed a serious difficulty. Now, here's the kicker. Did you guys realize that, that God does this to Jim too? Right there? Both Jims in stereo right there. Right? No, he does it to us, all of us today. Did you know that? It isn't just the Apostle Paul. Okay, God invests a lot of neat things into us, and sometimes, I'm not saying this is the only reason, but sometimes he will allow us to go through a hard time, Christian, because he is doing great things for us. We are following him, but God wants to produce humility, and that protects us from ruining everything today, okay? He's not being a meanie. It's one of the best things that could ever happen to us. Why? Because notice the context there. He says that when I was humble, when I was in a weakened state because of all these hardships, okay, that's when Christ's power rested on me okay in fact peter says the exact same thing okay when you are in a humbled state as a christian when you're a humbled state you receive god's grace when you receive god's grace that's when you're empowered okay that's how it works that's how god's power is unleashed peter says the same thing first peter chapter 5 verse 5 young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older all of you clothe yourselves with what gucci oh, i'm sorry uh Target. no you don't shop there anymore uh humility Follow yourself with humility towards one another. Why? What's so big? Of all things, why should we be humble towards one another and have a humble spirit as Christians? Because again, here's the rule. Just like Paul says, Peter says it too. Because God opposes the proud. Now remember I said last week what that was? It was a military term. It literally means God is showing up in full battle array. He's got everything armed against you. God detests pride. Why? What was the fall of Satan? Pride. 
And we're supposed to be Christians, followers of Christ. We emulate Christ. He who, Philippians 2, humbled himself, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, humbled himself and became a servant. Okay? But God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? How many of you guys want God's grace? Okay? Then what do you need? You need to be humble, not prideful. That's the pattern. Paul can rejoice through all his pain, even a demonic one, because he saw the higher purpose through it all. He knew it was the grace of God that gives you the power of God, and that power comes when you are humble, not prideful, and arrogant, okay? And that's what God's doing. Now, here's our problem. We don't like being humbled. Have you noticed that? Why? Because, again, what's the rule? How does it happen? You don't go to some store and dump it on your head. You can't go to Walmart and buy a humble jacket, right? I got my humble socks on. It works great, right? No, it doesn't work that way. Remember, it's produced in you. Oftentimes, what's the context? Through hard times. I use the word that I've learned. Humiliating circumstances produces humility, okay? Hard times. I wish I could wake up and there it was. It just was on my pillow and popped in my ear, right? And a little zip drive you can put... In your armpit, I guess. I don't know where you're going to put the zip drive. Uh, and, and hey, download the information. I'm so humble that it doesn't work that way. The Bible says it comes through hard times, humiliating uh, circumstances. And what happens, God's doing this, again, for good. Right? He's not being a mean. He's not allowing hard times. Oh, God, you're telling me. No, no. Out of incredible love, out of incredible sovereign good wisdom, he's allowing this to make us more powerful Christians. Okay, he's protecting us, okay? And what happens is our pride, our self-love goes right out the window in those hard times, doesn't it? Right? And what, what comes in like a flood? Humility. We're humble. We're in that humble state. Now, the challenge is when the trouble goes away, and it does, you stay in that humble state. Because if you don't stay in that humble state, what's God going to have to do? Here comes another hard time. You haven't learned the lesson. Now, I only have time to share with you one story, because I said it happened to both Jims, but it happens to all of us, even me. I only got one time story where God had to work this humility in this. Now, some of you might have heard this story. It's the classic chocolate chip cookie story, but a lot of you haven't. So let me humble myself and share that gut-wrenching experience again. Okay, this happened uh, one time uh, when I first accepted a position uh, as a pastor in New York before I was... Uh, here in Vegas, and uh, here it was, I come from California, Mr. Cool, hotshot West Coast guy, right? And uh, I wasn't bragging or nothing, but uh, I really felt like the church, nobody knew what they had on their hands, right? I mean, it was on my resume, they saw Get a Life, and, and you know, but they, I don't think they really got the totality of it, man, God was doing great things and reaching out, whatever, and so I was like, Woo-hoo! I couldn't wait to get there and unleash it on them all, right? Woo-hoo! You guys have no idea who your pastor is, right? So I, I kid you not, uh, uh, they were in a surprise uh, in more ways than one, and so was I. But uh, the first week, I get, you, I get there, the first week, uh, I get a phone call that my grandmother, who I just saw in Kansas, had passed away. On her way, moving out from California to New York, we dipped down to Kansas, visited her, and whatever. And I just saw her, and while I was there, you know, on the way to New York, visiting my grandma, we're eating, and just out of the blue, she says, hey, if I pass away, will you do my funeral? I get those questions as a pastor in your family. And so I said, yeah, sure, Grandma, I'd love to do that. Unbeknownst to me, she was going to die a couple weeks later. Once again, God's sovereignty, okay? So anyway, so I got the news. She died. I just saw her a couple weeks ago. And so I shelled out a hefty plane ticket there from New York. I boarded another plane uh, from New York to Kansas City is where I was heading. And I was actually beaming with excitement because, uh, number one, my grandma was saved, and I knew she went to heaven, okay? But uh, she lived in my hometown, 
And I've always wanted, ever since I got saved, to preach the gospel in my hometown. So I was like, woo, yeah, Mr. Mr. West Coast hotshot guy. This is getting great. I get to go to my hometown and preach the gospel. Woo-hoo! Right? So uh, anyway, so it was, I, I get there. And uh, so I get there, and I board the plane there in New York. And uh, they had a layover on the way to Kansas City in Minneapolis. So to keep me from becoming conceited... Here's how it began to go. Uh, I, I was there at, at waiting in the layover in Minneapolis, and I bought a coffee, right? And uh, I bought a, uh, uh, I wanted to get a snack. And so I go, and you know, they got all the tourism stuff that's going on there. I get a little snack. And I saw a chocolate chip cookie. And of course, it wasn't just a normal chocolate chip cookie, right? Because she's a tourist. You see those every day. It was one of those big, giant ones. I'm not joking. I am not, it's not like some fish story. It was like about that big around. I'm not kidding you. Wrapped in cellophane. And so, of course, guess what I got? That one. It's probably very appropriate the size of my head about that time. So I had to get the giant chocolate chip man cookie, right? And uh, so anyway, so I get that, and, and I take it with me on the plane. Uh, they're heading to Kansas City from Minneapolis, and uh, very fitting for what was about to happen. Now, it turned out that the, the plane uh, from Minneapolis going to Kansas City was one of those smaller ones. I mean, planes are cramped anyway, but it was one of those smaller commuter ones that you're really stuck in there like that, right? And so in there, I get into the, the plane there, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, eat that chocolate chip cookie. And, uh, and, and, of course, I can't finish it. I had to get the big giant thing, right? And, uh, and so, I, 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 you know, there's no place to put anything, and those are really small anyway. So I put it on the side of me right here, right? Right here. Yeah, you know where I'm going, okay? And uh, so, <laughs> and I probably forgot about it, right? Well, the rest of the flight, you know, I'm trying to get some sleep. And, uh, you know, you're restless and you're trying, I'm, I'm moving and I'm shifting around. You're trying to get comfortable and I'm just saying this is going on. And I just keep going, squishing here, squishing this way. Unbeknownst to me, I was squishing that giant chocolate chip cookie on the backside of my light beige dockers. <laughs> Mr. Hotshot West Coast guy, right? And anyway, so the plane lands, right? And, uh... <laughs> The plane lands, and I jump off that plane, lickety-split, right? Hey, right? First one off, right? In front of everybody, first one off, right? And uh, I'm just there. I'm just, I have no clue what I just did on that plane and what it must have looked like. And uh, so I gave the rest of the plane a great view of look like somebody that had a bowel problem. I don't know how to put it. <laughs> so I thought they were letting me off first because I was Mr. Important West Coast guy. You get the place, like, get off the plane, go to the bathroom, man. Disinfect the seats. Or something. So I'm going there, there, and so the whole time I had no idea what it looked like, and I was acting cool, God's gift to the world. So I get off the plane there, and uh, and uh, apparently there was some distance between me and everybody else. But uh, I get off the plane there, and I noticed this lady, right, and that she was waiting to get on the plane, the next flight, and she was reading the Da Vinci Code back in the day. Remember that one, that lie that came out? And uh, anyway, so of course, Mr. Cool Hotshot West Coast guy, I, I had to inform her that that book was heresy, and I even gave her my card to say, you know, say she had any questions. Well. Yeah, she never called me, and uh, she probably, probably washed her hands after I got done with that, okay? And uh, so I proceeded to get onto the, the sh- uh, shuttle to get to the rental car place to rent the car uh, in there in KCI, and so uh, I, I get there, I get to the, uh, the place, and, I, and of course, uh, I finally get there, and I get the rental car, and I sign the papers to the car, whatever, and of course, I gave the guy behind the counter in case he needed to talk to the hotshot West Coast guy, and as I turned around, the two guys were like going at it. And uh, looking back, they're probably arguing who, who's going to wash the seats in the car. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, so I still didn't get it. So anyway, I make it to my dad's house, about a three-hour drive from the airport there, down in southern uh, Kansas. And so I make it to his house the, the, the next day, and I preach the funeral the next day. And God was merciful in the midst of my need for discipline 
uh, to be honest with you, because uh, it was a great time at the funeral. People got saved at my grandma's funeral. It was awesome, and it was a privilege, okay? Uh, and I still had no idea what was going on, though, with the airport. Of course, I had brought a suit, okay, so I at least got changed in that. Well, until the next morning when I got up, and I'm ironing my beige pants. You're saying, well, why am I ironing my beige pants? Because Mr. Hotshot West Coast guy only brought one change of clothes, <laughs> Right? And so, and we're in a hurry. We got to hurry and get to the airport. We're three hours away, right? So I got no time. So I'm sitting in a hurry and just giving the, you know, the crinkles out. And all of a sudden, my eyes spied what all of Southeast Kansas was staring at. <laughs> and I kid you not, at first, my first impression was, I thought maybe I did have a bowel problem or something. I was like, what? And then I, all of a sudden, remembered me, no, that stupid chocolate chip cookie. Why can't I get the normal one? Why do I have to get the giant thing? Oh, man. I didn't have time to wash them, so I did the guy thing. I tried to make the best of it. I ironed it. I even ironed over the, the chocolate part, and it smelled like burnt chocolate and whatever. I said, whatever. So anyway, so then, of course, I told my family what they do. They laugh like what you guys are doing. We're crones, right? And so anyway, so I had no time to wash them, so I, I get in the airport and finally get there, and I, I, I get to the... Uh, 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 airport there, and here was my plan. I'm not making this up. I, here was my rationale. Still wasn't submitting to God. I figured, oh, listen, I can't. Man. Now I know, right? Everybody knows, and I know the back of the pants there, the secret of the pants. They can't understand the secret of the pants. It's like an Indiana Jones movie, the secret of the pants. But <laughs> so I actually sat there and I go, man, you gotta be kidding me. How am I gonna make it? I gotta make it through the airport. I have to make it all the way to the airport, way down to the end of the gate, right? I, I turned into the human crab. I, I, I. <laughs> I decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep my backside against the wall. Walk <laughs> like this, walk like this, all the way to the gate. And as long as that's back there, nobody knows the secret of the pants, right? And, and I'm sitting here like, yeah, like, that's not drawing attention. <laughs> You're trying to be incognito. You know, I'm doing the human crab man dance, and I'm hugging the wall. Everyone I could find, I must have looked so stupid. And God must have been laughing. But anyway, so here it was. I was trying to get nobody to see me, and I'm doing the human crab dance thing, and I, I crabbed my way all the way, all the way. You know, it's never right near to, to the entrance. So I crabbed my way all the way to the gate, and I kid you not, I'm going like, yeah, I'm so cool, I'm so smart. I won this one thing, right? And then I get to the gate there, uh, right there, and they had a security gate right at the gate, the thing, where they had to uh, do your shoes and stuff like that. And uh, so I'm going, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Because if I take off my shoes, in order to take off my shoes, i got to... Oh, no. Mr. Human Crab Man turned into Mr. Stork Man. I was not about to bend over. I sat there <laughs> on one leg, man. No way I'm bending over, man. And I'm taking this off, and then I'm doing this. Oh, yeah, I'm not drawing attention to myself. And so I make it home, and I tell Brandy what she do. Yeah, she laughed, too. Okay, but here's my whole point, man. It was, that was dumb. Was, it, is God being, was he being a big meanie? By allowing me to literally be humiliated in southeast Kansas like that repeatedly no he saw what I wasn't at that time ready to admit dude your head's so big you're not gonna get on the plane right chill out right and uh I'm gonna work some humility in you you're not so cool now are you mr secret of the pants so <laughs> and it's the same thing with Paul it's the same thing with us same thing that Peter's saying Christians, sometimes, believe it or not, God will allow that hard time because we may not see it. God is doing great things to you. He sees your heart. He knows you love him. He knows that you want to do great things for him. But there's something there that you're not seeing yet that needs to be taken care of. It's going to mess everything up. And since you can't go to the store or buy a can, he'll use a chocolate chip cookie or spiritual warfare or whatever it is 
to begin to produce that in you to protect you. Why? Because it works like this. Unless we grow in God's grace, we won't grow in his power. And if we don't grow in his power, we're going to be weak and ineffective Christians all the days of our life. And so God loves us enough on purpose to allow a hard time to produce in the best thing that we could ever have. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely awesome. The eighth reason why is to make us more, not just humble, but joyful. Joyful, okay? Now, it's going to be like the guy I'm about to show you, okay? Uh, let me set the scene, okay? Uh, apparently, uh, these guys are, this guy, he's the interviewee, or, or whatever, and he's interviewing two people, husband and wife scenario, it looks like. Um, and uh, he, uh, I don't know what language it's in, but I think you're going to get the point here in a second. But all I know is it's supposed to be very serious. Very serious, something serious is going on. Okay, but all of a sudden the guy gets a, a bad case of the giggles. You ever do that? You ever in some place when you're supposed to be totally serious and all of a sudden? <coughs> Watch this guy. This is cool. Jij had een normaal leven daarvoor en toen plots kom je uit narcose en dan merk je dat het leven niet meer hetzelfde zal zijn. Hoe reageer je daar dan op? Ja, uh, eerst met heel veel ongeloof. Ongeloof is eigenlijk het juiste woord. Ongeloof is eigenlijk het juiste woord wat lijken hier hanteert. Dat, dat was bij mij dus ook mijn eerste gewaarwording dat ik dacht dat dat kan niet. Dat, uh, dat me, dat... Excuseer. Excuseer. Excuseer dames en heren. Dus eh... Um... Je probeert dan terug je, je toekomst. Oh, ik begrijp echt niet wat er hier aan het gebeuren is. Excuseer. Sorry, echt. echt sorry. Excuseer, dames en heren. Dat betekent ook dat uh, bijvoorbeeld uh, ja, seksualiteit uh, ook een uh, groot probleem bijvoorbeeld wordt. Ja, mijn vriend heeft het gewoon uh, gedaan gemaakt. En ik neem hem daar ook niet kwaad. Mm-hmm. Plus het feit, als je, als, je met, als, als je met seks omgaat, is het, is het niet alleen het fysieke dat telt, maar ook soms de, de lieve woordjes. Ja. Anybody ever do that? Man, you're supposed to be serious and you just can't do it. That thing gets you going every single time. Now, now here's my whole point. I'm not saying laugh at people. Okay, when they're going through hard times. If you get that, you're getting the wrong point, okay? But how many guys would like to have that level of joy at all times, okay? And I'm not saying stick your head in the sand and whatever, but no matter what goes on, you've got that joy of the Lord. Nothing, I don't care what kind of bad news, nothing is going to drag you down. And is that not applicable for today? What's going on today? Oh, look, the economy, I'm just seeing the, it's going to blow up, up. And did you hear the government's all and ISIS and all this? That's <laughs> I'm not saying stick your head in the sand. I'm not saying you don't need to be informed. We need to be informed. I'm not saying act like it's not going to happen. We need to realize these things. But nothing, nothing can take away that joy of the Lord. Nothing is going to take. The joy of the Lord is my strength. My joy is not in this world. It's in the world to come. Wouldn't it be, like, wouldn't it be awesome to live life like that? No matter what people throw you away. No matter what conversation is. No matter. <laughs> wouldn't it be awesome to have that kind of joy no matter what. Anybody? Well, believe it or not, if you read the scripture, which I do highly recommend, you can. You can have that joy and you can have it 
on a regular basis, if you do what the Lord says you need to do to maintain that kind of joy. And this is where we get it wrong, unfortunately. Okay, we put our hopes in this world. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul brings out another nugget that Jesus said that's one in the Gospels. He said this, Paul says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. We must help the weak. Remembering the Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, What? It is more what? Blessed to give. That just ruined every commercial on TV. It is more blessed to give, Jesus says, than it is to receive. Blessed in the Greek there is makarios, okay? It means spiritually prosperous. Some translations will use happy or in like a joy, joyful sense. Why? Because when you're doing what God says to do, the fruit of his spirit is love. What's the second one? Joy. You're joyful because what you're doing is spiritually prosperous for you. That's what is the key to a blessed life, a joyful life in Jesus Christ. If you want more joy in your life, what's Jesus say? You don't get more things in your life. You give away more of your life. Why? Because apparently that's the path to a true and lasting, blessed, joyful life. And yet this is the problem. What's going on in our world today? It's a foreign concept, even with Christians, because we live in a society that declares the exact opposite of what Jesus says to do for a blessed or joyful life. And then we wonder why when we go down that route, we wonder why we, even as Christians, are so unhappy all the time. The exact opposite of joy. We got it backwards. Our world is consumed with me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. We live in a world of unprecedented selfishness. We want our fast food. We want it faster. We want our paychecks on demand. We want to be pampered with the so-called comforts of life. We want it all now because it's all about me. It's all about me getting what me wants when me wants it me. And what did Jesus say? No wonder you're miserable. No wonder you don't have that... Joy that I already gave you because you're living the exact opposite way. And folks, I'm telling you, when you live selfishness, me, 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 I'm never, it is destructive. I'm going to give you two examples. First is a guy, second is a lady. The guy, he's a successful uh, yuppie guy, I guess, apparently, and he parked his brand new Lexus in front of his office, right, to show it off to his colleagues. And as he got out, a, a truck, though, passed too close and completely tore the door off the driver's side, Right? And so the yuppie guy, he immediately calls 911, and within minutes, a police guy shows up. And, but before the officer had a chance to ask any question, the, the yuppie guy, he's screaming hysterically, ah! his Lexus, which he just picked up the day before, it was completely ruined, it'd never be the same, no matter what the body shop did to him. Ah! Well, the police officer, he, he, after the guy wound down, he, he, he shook his head in disgust. He says, I can't believe how materialistic you yuppies are. You are so focused on your possessions, you don't notice anything else. And the yuppie said, well, how can you say such a thing? And the, the police officer says, you don't even realize that your left arm is missing from the elbow down. It must have been torn off when the truck hit you. And the yuppie screamed, ah, my Rolex. <laughs> Dude. Wow. Ladies, you can do it too. This middle-aged woman, she had had a heart attack and she was taken to the hospital. And, and while she was on the operating table, she had one of those you know, near-death experiences, right? And so she's... You know, sees God there, and she asks him, hey, God, is this it? And God says, no, 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 you got another 43 years, two months, and eight days to live. Well, upon recovery, the woman decided, hey, it's about me. She decided to stay in the hospital, and she got one of those facelifts, and then she got liposuction, then she got tummy tuck and Botox and the plastic surgery and all that stuff. She even had somebody come in the hospital while she was still there and change her hair color, do her nails, the whole nine yards, figuring that since she had so much more time to live, she might as well make the most of it and live for herself. 
But however, when she got out of the hospital after the last operation, she crossed the street and she was killed by an ambulance speeding back to the hospital. And so there she was. She rides right back in front of God and she demanded, hey, God, what, what's going on? I thought you said I had another 40 some years. And God said, sorry, didn't recognize you. Now, those people found out the hard way, the harmful effects of being selfish, self-centered, materialistic. It's all about me, me, all that I can get. And those are in jest. But how many times do we really live like that as Christians? I mean, you've heard the same selfish cry. How can I get this? How can I go through this? How can I get this? How can I get this? How can I drive this? How can I get this? How can I get this? And on and on it goes. We Christians oftentimes, unfortunately, are just as ungrateful, just as selfish, just as bratty, just as materialistic as the rest of the world. And we wonder why we're so grumpy. And, we, and that video is so obtuse. <laughs> we can't even remember the last time we really had God's joy. Why? Because you're not doing what God says to do to maintain that joy. You need to give away your life. Be like Jesus if you want more joy. In your life. We do the exact opposite of what the Bible says. True joy in life does not come when you get more things in your life. It comes when you give away more of your life. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Okay? And so is it any wonder that when we live like that, the opposite of that, that our lives are filled with so much emptiness and bitterness and depression? So out of mercy, God sees this whole thing. Out of love, out of incredible sovereign good wisdom. You know what he does? <laughs> He's awesome. He allows some difficulties to come. Hopefully not necessarily getting your arm ripped off, okay, or hit by an ambulance, okay. But he allows some difficulties to come, and he's not trying to torment. He's trying to protect us from a horrible life of selfishness, okay. And, and after you go through enough hard times, have you learned this one yet, Christian? This world and the things it has to offer start to put a bad taste in your mouth. How many times you got to get burned with them, right? How many times you got to go through that, okay? We find out real fast that also life doesn't revolve around me, myself, and I. And you see, it's an illusion to think that you're always going to get what you want, when you want, when you want, and how you want. That's not reality. That's a one-way ticket to being miserable. And so is God being a meanie? No. He's teaching us a powerful lesson. Selfishness leads to emptiness. And because it never satisfies, you ultimately, it leads to bitterness. And yet the whole time, the hard times teach us, are you done yet? It's not about you. Start giving away your life. <laughs> and joy will come back. That comes from Jesus. So he does that to protect us. The ninth reason, uh, final one we get today, we still got a ways to go, is to make us more loving. Okay, Make us more humble, make us more joyful, and to make us more loving. We miss out on this one too. Talk about how do you make a difference in society. Well, Jesus lays it on the line. Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 through 44 and 46. You've heard that I said, Jesus speaking, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, why? Because hello, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Can I translate that for you? Even the IRS folks do that. No big shakes in what you're doing. And this is great because in essence what Jesus is saying here is the most effective way of getting rid of your enemies is not by hating them, it's by what? Loving them, okay? And how many guys would like to have more friends and less enemies? Those of you who didn't raise your hands, we'll pray for you. 
okay? But here's the problem, folks. We don't want to love our enemies, right? Okay, in fact, if we're honest with ourselves, half the time, if we do get around praying for them, what are we doing? We're praying God would destroy them. Okay, if we're honest, okay? And then Jesus said, listen, come on, man. That's no big shakes. Anybody can hate an enemy. And so Jesus challenges to what? To show this world we are his true disciples by loving those specifically who don't love us. Did you hear that? Loving those specifically who don't love us. You see, whether we realize or not, every time we refuse to love the stinkers in life, here's a good one. Turn to somebody and say, hey, you're a stinker, but I love you. Go ahead. It feels good. Okay. The Bible says every time we refuse to love the stinkers in life, then guess what? We're acting no different than the rest of the world. And then we're out there sharing the gospel and we're acting like this. You really think they're going to believe us? We're doing this no big shakes, he said. Listen, even the tax collectors love the people that love them. What are you doing? Okay? And they don't respond because we refuse to demonstrate God's love by our actions. Okay? It's a serious stumbling block from uh, other people getting saved. It's called hypocrisy. Okay? So God sees all this. So guess what he does? Out of love, out of wisdom, out of incredible good sovereignty. Okay? Here's what he does. He orchestrates, listen, a few difficult circumstances and or throws on some difficult people to come your way every single day. Right? I've said this before. It's a great analogy. How many of you guys have seen that movie, uh, Groundhog Day, with Bill Murray back in the day? Right? Remember that? What was the whole premise of that movie? Okay? Uh, he, he had to get up, the alarm clock went off, and he had to basically, he found out after a while, took him a little while as a guy, most guys, okay? uh, he had to live the perfect day. He had to basically be nice, be kind, right? and he didn't get it right, so guess what happened? He found himself, he woke up, there it is, he's living the same day over and over again, right? until what? Repeatedly, after it took him a while, he what? He finally, he finally got it right, and he was free. Uh, to live another day. Now, here's the point, folks. I have learned, believe it or not, that sometimes spiritually, that's what God's doing to you and I. Right? We're t- I call it taking spiritual laps. Anybody love taking spiritual laps? Do you know God loves you so much that if you don't, if you don't get it right the first time, you know what he's going to do? Here's the second time. Oh, you didn't get it right the second time? Mm, let's try number three. Oh, what's that? You're on number 47? Mm, let's try 48. Right? And just keeps on and going. You ever take laps? That's the same thing, right? With people hitting the arm. Why? Is he being mean? No, he's trying to get us to love as he loved. Why do you think those people are surrounding you? Specifically those stinkers. Because maybe those stinkers need to see something of Jesus in you. Can I tell you something? Have we forgotten where we came from? Remember what it was like before we got saved? Remember what kind of stinky lives we lived? Stinky attitudes, stinky behavior. Did Jesus love us as a stinker? You know what he wants us to do? Love the stinkers as well, okay? He's trying to show us that he wants us to show his love to an unloving world because that's the only way that our world is going to be pulled out of the pit of despair that we're in. It's not going to be talking about God's love. It's going to be demonstrating that love specifically to those who don't love us. It's like this video, let's take a look. A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole and he couldn't get out. 
a traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. dragged him into the light. And the man in the hole, who could not get himself out, was saved. Our world has so many false theories. How do you improve our world? How do you make things better? How do you help people in their pit of despair? And nothing ever gets him out except for one thing. The love of Jesus. If we really want to show the world we're true Christians and pull them out of the pit of despair that we are in, we have got to start loving people like Jesus did for us. We weren't worthy, were we? We weren't nice. We weren't kind. We were stinkers. And if our society is going to be pulled out of the pit, we have got to, listen, take them by the hand like Jesus did for us, even if they claw at it and not pound them down with hate. Not eye for an eye, not two for two, but pull them up with Christian love. That's when people start getting saved. Like this guy, true story. It's a, a, in a coal mine down in West Virginia. One of the coal miners was down the mine. He was a Christian. And so as a Christian, right, he was constantly praying and witnessing to the other uh, coal miners down there. And well, one of the men got so sick and tired of the Christian and his stuff, and he says, hey, listen, one of these days, if you don't shut your mouth about Jesus, I'm going to punch you out, and you're going to know you've been hit. And the, and the Christian said, well, hey, if you want to get it over with right now, why don't you just do it? So the guy got so angry, he punched the Christian in the face, messed him up so bad, he was almost unconscious. One punch, big guy. And when the Christian got up, true story, he could hardly speak, uh, he could hardly stand, but he did manage to say to the guy, I'm still going to love you. 
and I'm still going to pray for you. Well, believe it or not, that wicked miner went home that night with that thought. He couldn't sleep, so the next morning, he rushes down to the mine. He meets the Christian down there underground, and the two of them knelt together. And that man prayed and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And this, guess what? From then on, the two of them won the rest of the miners to Jesus Christ. Why? Because one Christian loved a stinker. And a bunch of people got saved. Folks, whether we realize not, whether we want to admit it or not, sometimes, did you know, our difficult circumstances, those difficult people, difficult neighbors, difficult co-workers, difficult whoever, sometimes God's trying to, okay, are you going to do it yet? Are you ready yet? You going to love them now? Remember, I loved you. You going to love that sneaker? even if it costs. He's trying to get us to display his love in an unloving world so that other people like us might be saved. So if he's got to allow a few repeated difficulties to make sure that happens, isn't that fantastic? That's just some of the good that God does through hard times. Lord willing, we'll pick up the rest next week. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you 
that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us 
with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.